0: Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. As we're a couple days away from entering into the new year, 2021, I thought we would step back into our show archives with an interview I did in August of 2009 with Dr. Alveda King the daughter of the late A.D. King and niece of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Albeda speaks candidly about her journey of forgiveness after the suspicious death of her father in a swimming pool and the assassination of her Uncle Martin here in Memphis in 1968. Albeda also shares her convictions on marriage, life in the womb, and the joys of being a grandmother. Let's rewind now and join the interview. Where were you in 1968? I was six years old, living right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated in the year of 1968. Joining us right now is Alveda King. She is the niece of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Alveda, how are you doing?
1: Wonderful, Byron, and it's wonderful to be here with you today.
0: You're no stranger to Bot Radio Network. You're
1: a friend of Dick Bot's. Dick Bot, Rich Bot. Dick is so amazing, and he has introduced me to so many wonderful people. He and his wife and family, just Dick is one of the liveliest people I've ever met.
0: <laughs> he really is. Yes. Now, of course, home for you is in Atlanta. Yes. And you've been traveling. You're here in Memphis now. When you come to Memphis, knowing the history of how this city impacted your family's life, what does it mean to you?
1: It took me a long time to come to Memphis, I came just a few years ago. Many members of my family would come and go to Memphis. But in 1968, I was 17 years old. My father, Reverend A.D. King, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s brother. They're both in heaven. Dr. King was killed in 68. He was assassinated. My father in 69, one week after I got married, was found in our home family swimming pool with no water in his lungs. Oh, my. And so with all the incidents and things that had happened, uh, the two brothers have been compared. Martin and my dad, A.D., have been compared to the Kennedy brothers. And so it was very hard for me to come to Memphis. And yet I came at the invitation of Dr. Dwight Montgomery through Reverend Bill Owens, who had introduced me to Dr. Montgomery. Bill, a very close friend, uh, who incidentally introduced me to Dick Bott. And so Bill said, you need to call Dwight Montgomery. He's the president of the Memphis Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And so I came. I went to the Civil Rights Museum met a lot of people. It was actually liberating because the visit, the first visit, caused me to forgive. And I've come back to Memphis again and I'll be back again. And so historically, the Lorraine Hotel, for instance, and standing there on that balcony and and all those experiences, it was almost like a flashback. I'm not sad, I'm not angry, but Memphis with this very rich history it's an experience.
0: You know, as Christians, we are called to be forgivers, and that can be a difficult thing for even those who follow Jesus Christ, knowing that he has forgiven us of our sin and his mercy and his grace. But sometimes we go through some very traumatic things in life. People sometimes can offend us or hurt us so, so deeply that it's very difficult to forgive
1: it is difficult, but it was not so hard in the King family because we were brought up. Love your neighbor, forgive, love never fails, uh, just all of the love scriptures in the Bible. We grew up with those scriptures. For instance, in Birmingham, Alabama, I would not go back to Birmingham. I lived there in my early teens. But our home, my daddy's house was bombed in Birmingham. My uncle's home was bombed in Montgomery, Alabama. And I would not go back to Birmingham until Father Frank Bavone and Janet Morana of Priest for Life where I'm a Director of African American Outreach. They said, well, we have a studio near Birmingham and we need to go to Birmingham and would you go with us? So the same thing that happened with Memphis, I did in Birmingham and I forgave. I walked back through history. I forgave everyone that I felt had hurt me. I allowed the love of God and the grace of God to come into my heart. And today when I am in Memphis, or when I have to go to Birmingham, and I go back and forth to the cities now. I don't feel anger. I don't feel fear. I don't feel hate. I feel the love of Jesus Christ causing me to forgive and to love.
0: Avita, I have several things I want to talk to you about, and our time is so short. What do you remember most from behind the scenes of the time that your uncle, of course, your father, too, during the Civil Rights Movement, as he became a national figure in the Civil Rights Movement, can you take us behind the scenes of the King family, what you were experiencing as a family together?
1: Well, my dad, Reverend A.D. King, was a major strategist. He worked very closely with his brothers, brother, and I say that they were compared to the Kennedy brother, and we've often been compared to the Kennedy family. Uh, their sister, Christine King Farris, who's the only sibling surviving, and their parents are gone, too. They're all in heaven. They were very, very close, and so they did things together. They consulted together. I remember my Uncle Martin. And my dad, A.D., there's a family story, and we all have family stories. It is said that they're named Sons of Thunder. They were named after the uh, Sons of Thunder in the Bible. But their daddy, my granddaddy, Daddy King, was a fiery preacher. He could jump off the pulpit mid-sentence in a scripture with his robe flying and never lose the context. And so the two sons would imitate their daddy. So one day Mama King was there at the house, and the two sons were practicing which one could sound most like their daddy. And the Lord said, yes. And so they were going at it. So Daddy King came home. He thought they were mocking him. And he says, Bunch, that's what he called his wife, Honey Bunch or Bunch. Are they mocking me? She says, no, honey, they want to be like you. And so the first thing that Martin Luther King came up to be was a preacher like his daddy. My father, although he was very interested in business, accepted the call of the Lord to preach. And so what I remember is Bible scriptures, examples of faith, forgiveness, walking in love, reading the Bible, singing the church songs. That's really what I remember about Martin Luther King Jr., my dad, A.D. King, my granddaddy, Daddy King.
0: Some have said that you have, quote, fallen off the mountaintop, have lost your mind, and have become a member of of the right-wing conspiracy you've heard that over and over and again. and the
1: rest of that and bumped my head and there was another <laughs> word in there
0: <laughs> we won't use that word here today
1: I know when I saw it I said well Lord let me forgive the person who wrote that and incidentally I wrote that person who wrote that blog and he never wrote me back but I uh, have not fallen off the mountaintop I've not bumped my head and I tell the Lord all the time Lord I'm not, I don't want to be a martyr like my dad and my uncle I want long life. I want to be satisfied with long life. And you show me your salvation. But I will be your mouthpiece. I will be your warrior. And so it's not so much about right wing or left wing. God's not a Democrat. God's not a Republican. God's not an independent. God is God. And I tell people all the time, my uncle had a dream that Protestants and Catholics and Gentiles and Jews would join together and sing the age-old spiritual free at last. I said, I hope the Republicans and the Democrats join the choir. (laughs) So it's really about the love of God.
0: When your uncle gave that speech in Washington, that historic moment, there was a lot of people there.
1: It wasn't just blacks. No, not at all. I remember my dad recounting that because I was only 12 years old. I didn't get to go. But Daddy came back with pictures and accounts. And when I look at it, I feel like I was there through him. And uh, there were Negroes, we were called at the time. There were whites. There were Jews. There were Gentiles. There were Asians. Uh, Native American Indians had to be there. Hispanics. All kinds of people from every walk of faith all kinds of people in the Christian community, and everyone was drawn, and I know what they were drawn by, by the spirit of the living God that came forth in my uncle, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., because no human being can have that kind of power and persuasion. You're going to serve one side or the other. It will either be God or actually the devil, if I can say that. And so you can have a charismatic presence But you're going to be drawn by the spirit that's in the person. And Martin Luther King was led by the spirit of the living God. And that's what brought people to follow him.
0: He used documents that our founding fathers had established this land on. Yes, he did. To reference and to get the attention to make the persuasion that, hey, we are people too. Yeah. Recognize us.
1: That is his only message. And he talked about a beloved community. And in that beloved community, all people, regardless of their ethnic groups, regardless of their socioeconomic status, would live together in that beloved community. And I still embrace that today. I talk about it. And I tell people, you know, we're one race human. A good friend of Dick Bott teaches that, Ken Ham, out of Acts 17. It says, of one blood God made every nation to dwell upon the face of the earth and so I tell people all the time if you think you're white put you on a piece of paper you're probably pink if you think you're black look for the blues and the plums and the magentas so we're varying hues but we're fighting over skin color when if you take off that top layer of the skin we kind of all look just alike
0: Have you seen that famous portrait of George Washington crossing the Delaware? It's a very treacherous moment. The the water is full of ice. And I didn't notice until recently, my son actually pointed this out to me. Look at the man sitting next to George Washington sitting down in the boat. Yes. An African-American man Man. who was the first spy under George Washington's command.
1: And I cannot think of his name, but you're absolutely right. And the first president of the Continental Congress was an African-American man. So they work together very closely and very well, and a lot of people don't know that.
0: How does the civil rights movement translate into other groups of people, now such as the homosexual community, in order to receive protective status in our country because they often associate their cause with the plight of the civil rights movement?
1: Well, my cousin, Elder Bernice King, who uh, is a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, she's an activist. And she said, as a matter of fact, it's probably quoted in that same article about me falling off the mountain and bumping my head and all that. Bernice said, because they talked about her as well, she said she knows in deeply in her sanctified soul that her father did not take a bullet for same-sex marriage. Now, does that mean that Bernice or I or anyone who says that gay marriage is not in the plan of God? Does that mean we hate gays? Of course not. But gay marriage cannot be a civil right. And procreative monogamous marriage is the best foundation for the longevity of the human race. And I believe, well, I learned that from my granddaddy. I mean, he always gave that example. Daddy King and his whole family grew up with that understanding. And so to say that gay rights is a civil right is not so. You don't want anyone in America to be persecuted, killed, maligned. And so we want human dignity for everyone. But that does not include trying to say that civil rights includes gay marriage. My uncle, during his lifetime, many times, had homosexual members on his staff, and they were trying to push him. Byatt Rustin was one of the top people who worked for him, who was openly homosexual. And he says, you need to add this to your platform. And my uncle said, I'm not going to do that. And there were others, he says, no, it's not the same thing. I mean, for instance, we can all as adults choose to be sexually active or not. If we decide not to be sexually active at all, we won't die. But you cannot change your DNA pattern. I cannot change my DNA pattern. I am born with brown skin, and that's who I am. So I've met ex-homosexuals, ex-athletes, ex ex cake bakers. (laughs) (laughs) But you can't meet an ex-white person. You can't meet an ex-black person. You can't meet an ex-Native American or an ex-Asian. Those are things that are ordained by God. To try to include sexual preference as a civil right, it just doesn't mix. It doesn't.
0: As you mentioned, you are an advocate for the pro-life cause. Do you feel like that message is being clearly understood in the African-American community? We have such a large case of teen pregnancies. Even here in Shelby County where we are, the percentage of aborted children, African-American teenagers, is
1: astounding. Yeah. Is the message being understood? Well, prior to the accelerated campaign in the late 60s forward from Planned Parenthood to bring Negroes, we were then and now African-Americans, into the pro-abortion movement, we understood in the black community that abortion is genocide. Abortion is eugenics. This is discussed in the new film MAFA, M-A-A-F-A 21. That's M-A-A-F-A, the number two one dot com. And you can see the trailer there. And so pretty much Negroes, prior to this massive campaign by Planned Parenthood to fool people into thinking that abortion was therapy... And that it was going to help our communities and that it really wasn't killing a baby because the baby was just a blob of tissue. They had that huge campaign. And then they went over to uh, women's reproductive rights and a woman's right to choose. And so they forgot to tell you, well, once we start aborting your babies and sterilizing you and giving you birth control pills that can give you heart attacks and strokes and everything, when you're ready to have your babies, your body may be too sick for you to have a viable child. See, they didn't say that. But what really happened, Jesse Jackson, prior to his run for president of the United States, was one of the strongest voices for life. He said that abortion was genocide. He gave his own life as an example. He was convinced uh, by donors to his campaign that if he would begin to promote a woman's right to choose and women's reproductive rights, he would get a lot of support for the presidency. And so a lot of blacks, because he has such a strong voice, begin to believe that. And when the Planned Parenthood clinics moved into the black neighborhoods to the tune of 70 plus percent more in minority communities, then the numbers of blacks who were being aborted began to increase. We were duped. We were tricked. My uncle, Dr. Martin Luther King, in 1966, before he died, got the first Margaret Sanger Maggie Award. But abortion was illegal in America at that time. He was not accepting an award to say, I agree with abortion. They gave him his award for community service. And so when Dr. King was assassinated in 68, abortion was still illegal in America. He never agreed with the abortion agenda. My uncle never, never did. I'm post-abortive. I was tricked by Planned Parenthood and brought the lies because my doctor tricked me into going there instead of my family in the church. But Planned Parenthood is tricky and scheming, and that is how African Americans being targeted because of genocide and eugenics. More of us die. The number of our people, 12 percent of the population, One-third of the abortions in America. That's how it came to be.
0: These moral issues that you feel very strong about, we're talking about the pro-life issue and even the civil rights issue, which is a very moral issue that we can talk about. Uh, Going back to the, again, the pro-life issue, we know that our president ran on a ticket that was pro-choice, and yet millions of people that came out to support his campaign Despite, as you said, these convictions that there's people who believe that abortion is wrong.
1: Right. It seems contrary. It is very contrary. You can see, for example, in the Catholic community, the majority of Catholics voted for President Obama. And the Catholic Church is supposed to be the staunch model for pro-life. Over 90 percent of African-Americans who really know that abortion is wrong, voted for President Obama. I did not, and I did not vote for Senator McCain either. You know, with me, like I said, God's not a Republican or a Democrat. Let me really vote my values. And so I wrote in a man who happened to be African American who is pro-life. You know, I just felt good about doing that. But what you've seen now is America unequivocally saying we're going to vote. The skin color issue. And I asked God. I was a little upset at first. I'll admit that. And God, please forgive me. I know you probably did. But I'm like, so, God, you're going to deal with skin color. What about the babies? I actually said that. And then my friend, Clint Childress over at BlackGenocide.org, he said only God could do this. He's dealing with the skin color issue while putting a face on abortion that America has never seen in President Barack Obama. He says, so now America has no choice. But to look America straight in the face every time they look at the president of these United States who says, I am pro-choice. No other president ever did that. But you got to realize no other president ever named National Gay Pride Month either and signed it except President Obama. So he's putting some things that's like in your face. Now, what are you going to do about it? So I say if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek God's face, he'll hear from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land. So it's really has forced us. It's like judgment to me. And so I tell people all the time, okay, you vote for President Obama. When are you going to Washington and tell them you don't agree with abortion and gay marriage? Just when are you going up there? Or will you Twitter him or Facebook him or fax him or something?
0: It is up to the people. Mm -hmm. That's why we are who we are as Americans of this union of the United States of America. That's true. When you look at our country, what do you think is the key for a strong and prosperous America?
1: We must, in America, come back to what the founders knew. We must come back to the time of revival in America. And uh, we've had waves and waves of revival. We need revival right now. So that's prayer and repentance. That's the genuine understanding. Lord, we've made idols out of too many things. Our money, our cars, our skin color, our sexuality. Lord, that's wrong. We want to tear down the high places, Lord. We must come back to you. And so when we really do that genuinely, and when we really love each other and love God most, And come back to God, God will meet us, and he really will heal our land. I know he will.
0: How can we get our message out of conservative values when there's – not much of a platform in light of the media that we have to deal with each day.
1: Well, I have a good friend, Dr. Ted Baer, over at Christian Film Commission, and he works very hard in Hollywood and in the media, promoting really good media, solid media. He gives good reviews, and you can check with that. And what we have found is phenomenal. The mainstream media tried to ignore our message forever, but the Internet which you know, and people—if anyone's listening—you think the internet's the devil, and you want to stay off the computers. What the devil intends for evil, the Lord intends for good. So YouTube, Facebook, emails, twittering—all this stuff that came from Star Trek first, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> you know the GPS system? Who used it? Uh, the flip phone was Captain Kirk's communicator, right? So we must use technology, and when we get our blogs and our messages and our faxes out. People are going on the Internet more than they're looking at mainstream news. People are listening to the radio more than they're looking at television. And so people are now going back to the main sources and saying, hey, we saw this, and so why didn't you report this? We're not going to look at you anymore. We've got to find our own news. And so we can force that by doing good reporting, as you're doing here on the, your radio station, and you will find that people will find you.
0: What dreams do you have that future generations of Americans – will see fulfilled and how can we assure that they will be fulfilled
1: my dream perhaps uh, is like uh, joseph's dreams or daniel's dreams or my uncle's dreams all the prophetic dreams and uh, visions that we read about in the bible or from my uncle or other current visionaries is that we will wake up and understand that we are one community one beloved community that god loves us all And my dream for young people is that the mature people will begin to give such a Christian example to the young that the young will be won away from the things that are drawing them and killing them and that they'll be won back to light and truth.
0: That's a good word. With all your travels, with all your involvement, you said things today I didn't even know you were involved with. You've got your finger in a lot of different areas. One of the greatest things we can say about you is that you are the mother of six, and you're a grandmother.
1: I'm a grandmother right now. I have five grandsons and a granddaughter who I'll meet in September for the first time because their birthday will be first birthday will be in September. I love my grandchildren and my children. Uh, they are the joy of my life. Ah, they're just so much fun. How did you
0: communicate the message of your childhood? to your children. I mean, this was totally obscure to them. You know, they did not grow up in the era that you did. They grew up in a different era. It was almost like a a time freeze or something that trying to communicate what your family had experienced to your children.
1: Well, the kind of mother that I have been and grandmother and I still am. When my children were in my womb, I would talk to them and sing to them and teach them. And my children and I would look at movies. We would have movie, family movie hour, and then we would read the Bible together and we would sing. And my children, I I used to love to listen to the Bible scripture songs. And my children, we would play it in, in the house and in the car all the time. And so they began to learn the Bible by just hearing it. And even, I, I'm going to do this real quick for Dick Bot too. And I, you all let him know I did it, because he says I just burst into song anywhere. But Bible songs have such messages like, and I do this with Dick all the time. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. So say there was a storm and the lights went out. I'd like the candles and run around the house singing, this little light of mine. <laughs> Don't let Satan put it out. So I would always sing, do movies, do the Bible, read. And uh, they grew up like that. So I recently, we went to see Star Trek, and then I took my son. I went and rented an old Star Trek movie. I said, so look at the difference between the old ones and this one, and let's put them together, and let's find all the technology that we have received from the time that it was just a TV show. And we found the microwave, which became the food replicator, the flip phone, which was Captain Kirk's communicator, the GPS that Uhura would find everybody. You know, it's just, it's been amazing. Laser surgery when bones would point it, you know, all that stuff.
0: You're talking about family, mm-hmm. family being together. And if we could instill these principles in the values of what you're seeing today, Yeah. In our families, we would see a different America.
1: We are seeing it, and my sons, uh, the two youngest sons are still at the house a lot. They're in college, but they're there more. But all my kids, it's the most amazing things. My daughters, when they come over to the house, can we sleep in your bed with you? And I'm like, yeah, but I need some real sleep, girl. And just doing things, baking cookies together or teaching everybody how to cook or the dogs, you know, we have a Chow. He's an old puppy now. He's growing up. And a beagle. So just doing all those things, growing tomatoes on the deck. You know, just stuff.
0: You've got some websites. You mentioned one site a moment ago, but there's some other sites that our friends can tune into, adkingfoundation.com.
1: Find out about my dad, Reverend A.D. King.
0: Also, you want to emphasize the uh, priestforlife.org and on that site there is the African American blog and you are the yeah, host of the African
1: American Outreach Blog, yeah.
0: And also the kingforlife.com, dot com, another
1: website. Well, King for America. Did I write Life? I meant to have Life on the Yeah. It's King for America. Life must have been on my mind when I wrote that for you, but kingforamerica.com, dot com. Yeah.
0: Avita King, thank you so much for stopping by today and sharing your life with us and some of the values your love for Jesus which
1: Oh, I love Jesus so much.
0: I can tell the smile radiates here on our radio as we share together today. Friends, we've been visiting today with Avita King, the niece of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and her father, the late AD King, those who instilled the principles of love, of forgiveness, of God's grace in her life. And she shares that today with us. I'm Byron Tyler. Thanks for listening.